Detective Season 2, Episode 4, Down Will Come, is over. But we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the guys who shot out some fires last night. Boy, I tell you what. It's Antonio Mazzaro, myself, and Jeremiah Panhorse. Jeremiah, how are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm back. You're you back. You're it. back. You were putting out some fires last night, you and me. Yes, it was quite a firefight, but man, we just made it out alive. Granted, yeah. we're the only people left in town, but uh, that's okay. We're alive. That's all that's, that matters. That's that's really we just <laughs> last people standing are still the last people standing. And then the, what do they say about history is told, written by the people who win or whatever? Something, something of that nature. Yes. Let's write some history, Jeremiah. You ready to do that? Man, that sounds good. All right. Well, we don't write history here at Post Show Recaps. We talk about TV shows and movies. If you're not familiar with what we do, you can always check us out and subscribe to our shows in iTunes, postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for our main feed. You can also look up our True Detective podcast on iTunes. We have a show-specific feed for that as well. As always, you can give us feedback, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You can follow Jeremiah on Twitter. He's at jpanhorst, and I'm at AC Mazzaro, but, but Jeremiah... We're missing somebody. What's going on here? I know we're missing our our, our fearless leader, Mister Josh Wiggler. Who's last I heard, I, I think he said he was investigating uh, the Bohemian Grove. Is that what I what you heard? This is not good. This is no. not good. This is not good. Josh Wiggler normally joins us on this podcast. As hopefully you're well aware, Josh is not here tonight. I I heard from Josh a little bit earlier today. I got just a, a cryptic text. It said, "You have my proxy for who is true detective." Really? Yeah, I don't even know. It didn't even look like his text handwriting. I I would be very suspect of that that text message because I don't know if he's up there with the Bohemian Grove people. What what is the short what is the shortened name for them? I know there's a short name for the, the Grove. The Grovers? Folks. I don't the know. <laughs> the Bohos? The Bohos? Maybe that's yeah. what it is. I know I read this online. And now I forgot. But yeah, if he's hanging out with them, I I I don't know if I could trust that message. Yeah, I don't know if I can trust. Him. So, but I don't know. It's it's Josh. You just never know. You you you'd be surprised what Josh can into uh, can get into when he goes upstate somewhere. So, yes. yeah, I don't know any more about that, and I don't really want to talk about what I do know or don't know. So, let's, <laughs> let's just hope we, he gets back safely. That's all. Yeah, we're we're gonna hope. We're hoping Josh will join us next week. If he doesn't, he doesn't. We'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, let's talk about last night, Jeremiah. I, we we want Josh. We really want Josh to be here. He's not here, but you and I are here, so we're going to break this down. Jeremiah, what the heck did we just? That was uh, how many people died in that shootout? That was a, a massacre. I mean, <laughs> massacre. <laughs> that, that was big time. Could you imagine the if that was really happened? I mean, this would be a story all over national news that we'd be talking about for a long time. I mean, it was crazy, right? Yeah, just that makes exactly what I was thinking. If this were truly happening, this is national news for months. I mean, this is a big, big, big deal. Like this is a major deal. I mean, multiple police officers were killed. Multiple innocent pedestrians were killed. We had a hostage situation that ended with a headshot. <laughs> it was fan- it was fantastic. I will say it's probably obviously the best part about the episode, I'm sure. And I think that you would you look online and you see what between our commenters to hear for post show recaps and everything I read online. I mean, most everybody was just giddy over the excitement of the final 10 minutes of the episode, which was a fantastic battle scene. But I will say, yeah, it was just it was insane to think about that, uh, that it got it so out of control out of hand so quickly uh but it certainly made for some great television that's for sure 
Yeah. And I, I think you're right when you, you hit on something pretty important there, which is it's insane to think that it got out of hand so quickly. I think yeah. that it is, it is probably insane to think that, that these guys were like waiting at the window and just started shooting. And then all of a sudden the, th- the third floor of this place is just blown up. And then there, I mean, it's just, it's almost too convenient. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. I mean, there's no doubt about this entire thing was definitely a setup from the, from what I can tell for sure. And I think it's very important, by the way, that we do say a moment, have a moment of silence for Detective Dixon. I mean, he is no longer with us. Teague Dixon, W. Earl Brown, somebody who's been talked about a lot on this podcast. Yes. He unfortunately takes a shot right to the head. And yeah, we should break this down because you're saying, Jeremiah, that you're willing to, shall I say, plant a flag that this was a setup? Yes, and I know we've had some comments about that on our on our page, but to me, it's just too convenient, right? I mean, the, the, those guys, they barely got up to the building and they started shooting at the detectives. So to me, they knew it was coming. Something was up. To me, it seemed like it was definitely something they were warned last minute. And I definitely think that uh, there was a lot more going on than, than meets the eye. What do you think about this, right? So let's talk about this. Let's, right, let's, really, break break, it down. let's really break this down. So okay. if it were a setup, Yes. Who, who is involved? Are we talking the mayor, Lieutenant Burris, the police chief, all those kind of powerful people in Vinci? You think the mayor's really sitting down and saying, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get that woman out there in this alley and I'd get some shoes on top of the building and then I would have everybody just take them out so that they couldn't be careful anymore. You think that's what happened? I mean, is this really a, a planned kind of thing with the mayor uh, and the lieutenant? Uh, and and all in the in the police chief, they're really looking at them awfully weird when they leave the room, don't you think? And they say something like, "Do you feel all this manpower is really warranted?" And it's kind of like, "Shit, are we going to really put like fifteen cops in the line of fire here?" Like, oh, we just kind of wanted to kill those three. I mean, I, that was my read on it. And it sounds like that's what your read was too. Yeah, absolutely. Because the when I the more I think about this, okay, so here's how I was looking at this. You got these three group of detectives who I think were purposely chosen to head up on this investigation because I think everyone involved, whether or not they were involved in the actual killing of Casper or not, that's another story. But they were they're still involved, right, because a lot of them have dealings with what's going on with the land deals. You know, a lot, a lot of important people involved in this, and, and, and obviously the mayor is definitely one of these people that we could certainly say – has some kind of involvement in at least at least the keeping things quiet as far as you know i mean there's only there's so much that he probably wants to keep leaked out whether or not he's involved with like i say casper's killing or not so the way i look at it is these three people were picked for a reason because they're very compromised right they have bad past here we're finding out even more and more about stuff we found out more about anna this week and i think that the way they looked at it is these people are Easy to control, easy to, you know, sweep a lot of this stuff under the rug and most likely never even figure out, you know, solve the crime at all. And that everything will be just the way they want it to be. And to me, everything seems so convenient with how the way this thing broke down. I think that there's no doubt in my mind that that definitely multiple people were involved to make sure that this went down. And I, I think that they really were hoping that one, if not all of them probably would have maybe lost their life during this battle because it just seemed way too, too easy almost in a way for the way it went down. I, I, I It's just, the whole thing was crazy though. That's for sure. I was, so what, what do you think? I mean, do you see where I'm coming from? It, it, did these guys, 
all these guys, Ray and Anna and, and Paul, I mean, these guys to me seem like the perfect kind of detectives. You went on a case when you really don't want the best people involved. And maybe if, if they felt like these guys were getting a little bit too much, too close to maybe solving some stuff, you know, what better way to have them walk into a major gunfire with, with the bunks of Mexican gang or gang guys with the uh, semi-automatic weapons that could easily have taken every, all of them down. But luckily uh, for them, they did not all per- perish during the battle. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot going on. What do you think? Yeah, it smells like a setup to me too. And I, and I agree with you. The one thing I will say is I'm interested to track where Paul lies in all this because Paul seemed to have found the body on accident and his involvement seems to stem from that. But that's not to say that since he was compromised by the celebrity investigation and by the things that he'd done with Black Mountain, the security group, the kind of uh, war criminals that are they're being labeled, and then he's certainly the kind of guy that is malleable and that can be moved into different parts and places and pieces and asked to do certain things. So maybe it was a stroke of luck that he happened to discover the body. Maybe there was something more in play. I don't know where we're going well, with he, that character. He even mentions to Ray about how he's always been a yes man. He's always done everything they've said yes you know for him to do yeah so he's definitely that guy that they he would go to reeks, yes he certainly reeks of the guy who's been programmed and i think the question would be like to what extent is he the kind of guy who's sort of been brainwashed and programmed i get the sense that some of that was with his mother maybe she probably knew when he was younger right. that he had homosexual tendencies and she didn't want him to be like that and we're going to see that some of that stuff play out but maybe she kind of burned maybe the scars are from her maybe the burn scars he has are from her or sure. for something she he tried to do i just don't see how in 2015 this guy is this torn up about just his like homosexual tendencies i think there's a lot more going on with paul than that i think to a certain extent he's been tortured uh, and forced into a lot of things that he didn't want to do so that is a, he's an interesting piece because he doesn't have to be involved in this investigation but i think you are onto something very interesting with annie uh, which is that I'm not sure how great a cop that Annie really is. We first meet her. She's sort of uh, going uh, like whole ass into this investigation of this camera operation that she thought was prostitution. Seems very ill-advised. It doesn't seem like a really smart play. It's a failed bus. She goes in, it's her thing, and it, it doesn't work out. Right. So she doesn't seem like she's necessarily the most successful police officer. And you combine that with the kind of, it seems like she's like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like she's very well respected uh, by her fellow officers. I'm basing that on the fact that they're willing to kind of sell her out and throw her under the bus at the first moment of trouble with this other guy, her, her former lover there. So I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah. Not to mention, she has obviously some personal demons that was came up again in this episode. We find out more about the fact that she has, gambling issues so there's a lot of issues with this woman that makes you think that she also is a perfect person to have on a case that you don't want handled in a very professional well done way you know i mean definitely someone that i would want on the case if i really had a case that i really didn't want handled very well yeah and i mean the same goes in spades for ray right because yeah. ray is sure. this down in his luck kind of drunk just decrepit clearly corrupt dirty sad individual who right. still seems to be the best cop in vinci somehow uh because <laughs> teague dixon his partner is really i mean just at the bottom of his bottle whereas ray somewhere in the middle um but yeah 
he's clearly put on the case. And, and it's interesting because if you track back earlier in the season, when he's put on the case, they, he basically asks, like, am I even supposed to try to solve this thing? Like, he knows that the people, the powers that be in Vinci would probably prefer to have this case swept under the rug. So enter from the side of the stage, a likely suspect, somebody who's a, a pimp that you can easily develop a theory of the case around. The guy's got priors like crazy, including assaults and weapons charges. That would make sense uh, in, in light of what was going on. A plausible theory of the crime is developed, wherein one of that pimp's prostitutes recognized that Casper probably had a lot of money and decided with her pimp to shake the guy down, and it went awry, and therefore the guy died. Doesn't really explain why the guy got shot in the junk. Doesn't really explain why the guy's eyes ended up like that. But hey, if we're talking about sweeping this thing under the rug, when you go to apprehend the guy, horrible shootout ensues. Everyone involved dies. And, and there you go. Put, put, let me put one more bow on this before, before uh, we kick it back. Before. One thing I will say is the person who seems to put this sort of tip together that really gets it all going is W.R.L. Brown, Teague Dixon. He, for some reason, decides to be a good cop this week, even though we've seen no real evidence of that previously. Right. We have seen him photographing Paul and tailing him for some unexplained reason. Right. Just last week we saw that, right? Yes. Yeah. But now we see him, he's working the pawn shop beat, and sure sure enough, he happens to just magically find Casper's jewelry in a pawn shop, and he's the one who ties it all together. He's the one who makes sure that everyone understands the theory of the case so that it makes sense to everybody in the room. He's the one spitting all this out, and magically, he gets shot in the head, so he can't talk anymore. Yeah, that's one of our one of our listeners, Robin Dunn, mentioned on our website is, is asking us about were we surprised about the fact that he gets killed after all this, all these things that have come up recently with the fact that last week with the pictures and now this week, you know, him being so involved in leading up to us find you know finding out about uh, what's going on with these with the Mexican guys. So obviously he knew he is involved. He was involved somehow, some way. What exactly he knew and who was he working for or what exactly for sure is going on with him? I don't know. But obviously now we're not going to know because the guy's the guy's dead. Yeah. I mean, my thing, my operative theory would be he's he's keeping tabs on Paul and others in the investigation, not for his personal gain. Right. But but for the people in Vinci, uh, it is silly to assume that as another Vinci cop, he wouldn't also be corrupt and he wouldn't also be involved in the same sorts of things. That Ray is. So he's probably corrupt, probably as dirty as Ray might be, and probably carrying water for the people in Vinci. That makes so sense. So it, it would not surprise me if one of those people, like the chief or the lieutenant or the mayor or one of the underlings, said, you know what? Why don't you go check out this specific pawn shop? And then magically he finds the evidence that links them to the suspect that later gets killed in a shootout. I just think it's all very, very, very convenient. We also have some moments right before the shootout, like we talked about. Uh, Lieutenant Burris says, you know, are you sure you want to bring this kind of manpower? Are you sure it's warranted? Right. Uh, the mayor drops that very, oh, let's all be careful out there. Like he's very concerned about them when clearly he hates Annie's guts and would love nothing more than for her to die in a blaze of glory. Maybe the design of the shootout is not necessarily to kill the three. I mean, if they die, fine. But if they don't, then they're going to be shamed and they're going to be seen as causing all these horrible things to happen. I mean, lots of innocent people died. Lots, Jeremiah. Oh, absolutely. And um, I do agree, by the way, with a lot of people who writ 
had written about this was that one of the things that was kind of cool about the scene was the fact that didn't, you know how almost every crime shows, whenever pedestrians are involved, they always seem to get out of the way and avoid any kind of harm. In this particular scene, these poor pedestrians got probably what would happen in real life if you got caught in the crossfire is a lot of them are going to get killed or at least hurt very badly. So that actually really made the scene even that much more realistic for sure. But um, I guess the thing that really kind of troubles me now, though, is, okay, so Mr. Dixon, of obviously we don't know for sure who he's getting these tips from or these suggestions from, but obviously that kind of is kind of important. But the, I guess the big thing is we need to figure out is if obviously this thing was a setup, as the great Brendan Fitzpatrick said on, on Twitter, this clearly is a setup. We all agree with that. I guess the big question is then what were they – if it was a setup, what exactly for sure were they hoping to come out of this? And I think it is to make sure that this this gentleman – and I'm trying to think. i got it written out of the name. What is the name of the head guy that they were going after? Lito? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Amarillo. Like, Amarillo, yeah, right. Lito Amarillo, yeah. That I think to me he's their fall guy. Does of course, yeah, he's the, the patsy. He's the patsy for okay. sure. This so this he, is all about making sure he goes down. Yep, and they got somebody to blame for it, right? Yep, that's and 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 they killed the guy, the only person in in Teague Dixon who could make the connection. If they set it all up and and fed him that tip, they killed the only guy who could make the connection. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that that you know that is probably why it all played out that way. Um, I, I can't imagine that it that it played out that it plays out differently. I think it has to be a setup. I do think the people in Vinci are involved. I think the reason for doing that is to sweep this under the rug. What's crazy about that though is this is like a, a major problem because and we'll see how well they cover it up or what happens, but right. I'm not sure they could have anticipated that many innocent people dying and this playing out exactly how it played out. I think that Annie was a little like, we have to go in and get this guy right now. We were told to do it. And that was all well and good. And she didn't want to wait. But I think that I think it blew up in their faces a little bit. This cover up. I I guarantee you, you do not cover up a murder of like Casper's with this Patsy with such a crazy crime. Uh, That would sort of be like, you know, stealing a pack of gum from the grocery store and then burning your house down to hide the evidence. It just is, it's just crazy. Uh, and not that killing somebody is like stealing a pack of gum, at least not to normal people. But uh, I would say that in light of one person dying, these dozens, I would say dozens of people dying at the, in this incident. I mean, people are going to wonder if it's terrorism. They're going to say, this is political candidates are going to pick this up and, Donald Trump's going to be complaining about the border because he's just about as racist as Frank is in this episode. Like it's going to go off the rails very quickly. It's going to bring a lot more attention on Vinci than they could ever have imagined. So I'm not sure that they wanted it to go this way. And as you mentioned, Brennan Fitzpatrick, great uh, friend of the shows at post show recaps tweeted at us. And he says, I think everybody's getting suspended basically. Uh, right. Do you think that's how this is going to play out? Or are, are the, is well, the fallout going to be that our cops are going to take the fall here? I mean, certainly, I, I think in, in real in a real life scenario, that's probably the case. But I don't know how much of that's going to be a big part of the show. I mean, it's not like all these guys are going to be suspended from the case because well, otherwise we wouldn't have much of a show. Maybe in real life, for sure, absolutely, you would think so that they would be in trouble. What kind of fallout, you know, would happen from this? I mean, 
shoot, I mean, it's be, it would be bad, right? Yeah, I mean, it would be you, We talked about earlier about what kind of a story, sensational story this would be if this was to happen in real life. So absolutely, and I think in a real life scenario, yes, Brendan, I think it would be really bad news for these guys, but I think, you know, for, for the stake of the story of for the show, for the TV show, I think obviously these, that it probably won't be necessarily uh, that bad for them, but it certainly is going to be a bad fallout. So I guess, Hmm. I mean, Annie's already suspended. Yeah, and, that's true. And, and I mean, so is to a, to a point. So is Paul. Uh, he's not suspended from the state investigation, but he is off the bike pending investigation. So two of these cops directly are already under investigation. And Ray works for a police department where the entire city's under investigation. So really the landing spot for all three of them could be very poor since two of them are already there. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, I don't know about suspensions, but I mean, I could, I could foresee Annie totally getting busted down and losing her job. Like I, 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 I can see this all cause this was her lead and it went South. So I can absolutely see that playing out. I mean, think about all the things like the back alley wasn't covered to begin with. She went in a little too fast and too heavy. Right. She had gambling debts. Is this all going to be linked up? I don't know, but that immediately becomes part of the investigation. You've got press already looking into Woodrow. I don't know if they're TMZ paparazzi types, but he's already a name uh, that's out there in the media. I mean, they're going to have a field day when he's caught up in this thing. So yeah. I, I, I don't think it ends well for anybody that's involved. And I actually think the fact that it won't end well is what's going to drive the rest of this season. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it certainly could be really bad news for all of them. How bad a news it would be, it's left to be seen. I mean, we'll definitely find out, obviously, in the next episode. But, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly you would think that there's there's going to be some fallout from it. That's for sure. I guess now, I guess the point is, is that, so if the city is going to obviously use this entire incident as it's, platform to say help we've got the killer don't worry everybody you can rest at ease now it's all over we've got him we've we know who killed casper obviously that's probably where we're going to be headed to here early on in the next episode and we all of course know that's a bunch of bs i mean there's no way this is cut dry i mean there's no way this little guy is the one who killed he's not Birdman for sure there's definitely something else going on here my feeling is the fact that i to me, the mayor stuff, yes, he's a crypt. He's definitely a bad dude. He's an evil guy. He's involved in a lot of corrupted stuff. No doubts in my mind. But to me, he is absolutely has abs- has nothing to do with the murder of Casper. I think that that is a whole different story altogether that hasn't still clearly been revealed yet. And I think that's here. The last four episodes, I think, is going to be us getting into what really is going on with the murder of Casper. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, part of it, what I would say about the mayor, the interesting thing is that we've got these phone records that show Casper is calling the mayor's house repeatedly. But earlier on in the season, when the mayor's first kind of talked to about this murder, he says, I didn't really know him very well. You know, I didn't spend a lot of time with him. He acts like he didn't know Casper at all. And yet Casper is blowing up the mayor's house phone. So something is not right there. And we introduced in this episode that maybe it's the mayor's son that is talking to Casper Tony. Like maybe that's what's happening. I don't know. But I think that the mayor has kind of understated his connection to Casper. So what you're saying is maybe people involved with the mayor is involved in the killing. 
right? Yeah, I mean, it's possible that the mayor's involved, but I think that it's unlikely. And uh, there were some, we, we were, I mean, I just, the way I look at it is the mayor is drunk all the time. He's constantly, even when you see him at the, the train meeting when they're doing this great presentation, he's double fisting when Vince Vaughn meets him and they're like, ah, the mayor's already in the bag. And then literally every scene we see him after that, uh, we're seeing him drinking or drunk. Yeah. So I'm not sure that the mayor is capable of orchestrating all this. The mayor comes from a very powerful family. We find out a little bit more in this episode about just how deep that history runs, that his father's been a heavy hitter for a while, that that family has been in place for a really long time. Right. And in light of that, the mayor is probably in a lot of respects kind of a figurehead, right? Like I'm not going to bring any specific politics into this, but there are a lot of younger sons of political families whose fathers were probably bigger heavyweights than they were. Their sons never grew up wanting for anything, never really developed their own life or character. And they end up figureheads and puppets uh, in those families. So that happens from time to time in these rich families. That seems to be a, an undercurrent of this season. Vince Vaughn mentions it at one point that he wants to have a kid and raise the kid that into a family that's so rich, they can't even remember where the money came from. And when Ray's talking about the mayor earlier in the episode, he says he's got the biggest house on his street in Bel Air. Like nobody's touched that family for, you know, for decades. And you think you're going to be able to, you're not going to take this guy seriously. I think it's a bad idea. And, and I think that that, I think that that's where we are with the mayor. I think that the mayor is not this, crazy like a wizard of oz type thing where there really is a man behind the curtain he's just uh this guy that's full of sound and fury signifying nothing like a lot of what's in true detective so i think he's a bad guy but i don't think he's the bad guy um but i think he's connected to this ring of rich and powerful people uh, a ring that casper maybe got too close to or maybe he branched out and tried to form his own little faction or tried to go in business for himself. We know Casper was overcharging Frank. It wouldn't surprise me if Casper was doing some other people in this deal dirty. And that's what got him got. Uh, and the mayor might be involved in that. But um, I don't know. I don't think he's the big bad. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, this is, I mean, I don't know how much he was to benefit. Uh, obviously not benefit nearly as much as Frank was going to benefit from this deal that Casper was working on with Frank. But he definitely, I think he was going to benefit somehow from this. So to me, Casper's death kind kind of hurts a little, kind of hurts the mayor a little bit, right? Or do yeah. we know that for sure? We don't really know. We don't, sure we don't know how the mayor was going to That's benefit true. from this deal. But we, we just kind of that, assume. We yeah, assume he was we, involved. We do. And, and we're getting a little bit more of that in this episode. Here's what we get in this episode. Okay. We get, we get that... There's a lot of polluted land in California, uh, mostly in the Fresno area, but specifically throughout. And it is it is unsuitable for farming because of mining waste, because of runoffs from mines, because of chemicals that are in the ground and in the water table. The land is unsuitable for farming use. And therefore, unless you put some giant commercial development there, it's not really valuable land. What kind of giant commercial development am I talking about? Probably the kind that comes with a high-speed rail line that connects the southern part of California to the northern part of California. And so I do think a big part of this plan was let's buy up all this contaminated land. Let's then, we know this development plan is coming in. We hear Vince Vaughn pitch this to the guy who plays Roy on The Office uh, later in the episode, uh, his wife's ex-boyfriend. We hear him pitching it to him like, and we heard this pitch earlier in the season in an open room in front of all the prospective people, like, hey, the government has guaranteed overages. What that means is 
as far as this project goes and everything associated with it, the government's going to pay whatever it costs to clean that land up, to make it suitable for use, to, to build the things, to do the things. That's where the money's going to come in. And so the people who buy into this deal are really just getting an open line of credit funded by the government. Vince Vaughn refers to it in this episode as like the last remaining pork, pork barrel other than defense spending. And, and it's not like, it's not an, it's not an open and shut thing, but my guess is all of these people, the mayor, Casper, all of them stood to make a lot of money. And in fact, my belief would be that they actually stood to make a lot more money than Frank. I think Frank was one small part of this deal. He was only in for 5 million, right? Like, Right. No. Yeah. But still, I mean, big money for him, obviously. Big but, money for him. But sure. For, for a mayor who's hit a tax abatement and they're talking about in the tens of like nearly in the hundreds of millions of dollars, um, then then this is not the same kind of money. I mean, Frank is not living in that Bel Air house like this is I think the mayor comes from a much more important and rich family than Frank. Frank has clearly worked his way up. We heard about his dad. We know where Frank has come from because we're seeing him go right back to it. And so. Frank is kind of the the sad like guy at the bottom of this who's trying to break into this stratosphere of the truly rich, uh, and they're not letting him in. I think that's what it comes down to. Is his character story is about this guy who almost got there. He almost broke through into the top one percent, but mm-hmm. he he couldn't. He, they forbid him from doing it for one reason or another. And I'm not sure we'll find out what the motive if it was strictly to keep Frank out or if Casper was killed in an unrelated way. But for whatever reason, Frank is on the outside looking in. Even though he knows about this deal, he can't get the money together to make it happen. Uh, and this is a guy who knows how to get money together. So I think that's the, the kind of story we're telling. We saw the pink flags from the premiere. We heard about all. We saw that right. in the premiere. That land is important. It is the vital thing. Um, and we're seeing kind of all that play out. And I think I think me and you will probably be in agreement with this. <laughs> We are now delving into what the crust of really what's going on with this involvement for for Casper's murder. This is about the land. And to me, the only thing that makes the most sense is that this is a a different a party that we are not maybe completely familiar with yet. That for whatever reason wants to make sure that this deal did not happen, that this land stays exactly the way it is. And that there is no railroad that deal that goes through there and the land will stay pure and and just the way it is. So I think that there is going to in the second half of this 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 series, we're going to find out about someone eventually that really wanted to make sure that these guys didn't get what they wanted. You know, because a lot of times for a long time, I was thinking, Antonio, this had a lot to do with maybe getting revenge on Frank. Right. Which it could still be, you know, like they wanted to make Frank pay for something. Right. Someone he had in dealings with in the past that didn't go right. And he wanted to this person wanted to make sure that that Frank paid for it. What better way to make Frank pay for it than make sure that this legitimate deal where, you know, here's a man, Frank, who's trying to get out of the crooked business. He's trying to get out of being a gangster. He's trying to be a, a legit businessman. What better way to ruin his life than to wait till he's got this big deal thing and throw it and blow it all up in his face. And that's fine. And maybe that's what it's going to be. But I really think it has to do with protecting this land and making sure that nothing that nothing gets built on it. But I mean, that's kind of where my mindset at the at the moment's going. What about you? Where do you think this is headed? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting into it right now. 
I'm not sure why Casper was killed. I don't really have a good working theory on that just yet. I mean, I do you I think, think it has to do with the land? Because I think the scene that you were talking about that we saw in this episode, very brief, but mentioned about the fact about this, you know, land that you said that has some issues with because of the mining and it's no good. I really think they're showing all of this for a reason. Casper was on to something maybe or whatever, and he made sure he, he bumped him off. Something has to do, obviously, with the land, right? Yeah, I think so. Here's what I think. I, I think that Casper was probably doing a lot of what Frank is doing, which I think is acting beyond his means. I don't see a reason why the city manager of Vinci is wandering around Northern California and taking soil samples. Like that shouldn't be happening for the city mayor of Vinci to be doing that. Unless he was worried that these samples could maybe cause a, a hitch in the deal. Yeah, uh, or or maybe because he was trying to use those samples to to kind of get in some living rooms that he couldn't get into, maybe a blackmail thing. Okay, like I, I think that he's probably. I think what happened with Casper is I think he pissed off the wrong people, and I think he got killed for that. And I mean, I really think that that's probably where it begins and ends. I think he was part of an organization or group. Call it Bohemian Grove. Call it what we heard in this uh, in this. In this episode, what was it called? It was called the... Uh, In this episode, it was called, oh, Down Will Come. The, just, no, it was called Chisani's Lodge. Oh, it was called oh, Chisani's Lodge. lodge. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Whether he was he was wrapped up with people from Chisani's Lodge or something like that, or Bohemian Grove, whatever you want to call it, I think he starts working on this deal, and I think there are probably other people who didn't necessarily want this guy making money off that land and this deal, uh, and probably offed him as a result of it. And it wouldn't shock me to see this go through in a different way. I don't know exactly how that will all play out, but I think Casper died not to protect that land or, or something on it, uh, because it seems to be an open secret that it's polluted. Uh, the EPA knows about it. True. But I would say that I think he died because he, he pissed off the wrong people. Look, well, we know he was working, Frank. Yes, that's true. He, he was asking for $10 million, uh, for land that the holding company said was worth seven. So he was going to get three extra million dollars just out of Frank. And Frank was not the only guy involved in this deal, obviously. Tons of people That's were. true. That's true. So he, he pissed off the wrong one of those rich people who say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm above the law. Uh, I'll just kill you and then we'll work to set up somebody else to do it. Um, I think that's all that, that could have happened. I, I don't think this was a lone gunman kind of thing, uh, that it's being perceived to be. Oh, no. I definitely don't think it's lone gunman. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got the bird man out there. Like mm -hmm. we have that, but the, I, I, but that can I, be multiple people. I'm not even, I'm not even convinced that that's the same person all the time in the bird man mask. You know, I mean, Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The Birdman can be a different person than the person who set the car on fire, and they can be a different person than the person who murdered Frank's guy, Stan, uh, and they can be a different person. I mean, it doesn't necessarily I, – I just don't see this being one person with an axe to grind. I see this – Look at what True Detective Season 1 was about. True right. Detective Season 1 was about these two detectives who got caught up in this crime that they thought they solved. They thought they put it to bed. And when they had their, you know, their likely fall guy, everyone was happy to put that to bed. And part of the reason people were happy is what they were investigating it started touching some really powerful, really scary people, uh, right. senators, governors, uh, people who were super, super rich uh, and the really well-connected families there. Uh, and once that that sort of thing started happening, uh, it was better to put this to bed. And by the end of the season, they had actually realized that their initial solve was wrong uh, and they had found the person who they were originally looking for. Uh, but they also hadn't really touched any of the corrupt, really rich people that were involved in the criminal act. Fast forward to True Detective Season 2. We have a murder. 
at this point, it could certainly, you could put a bow on it and say it's solved. Uh, and and it, we've got this pimp who committed the act. And when they tried to apprehend him, he was so uh, scared about it that he went on a killing spree. Like easy enough to put a bow on that crime is solved. Now, fast forward a little bit of time and they realize they didn't get the right guy. And the detectives continue to investigate it on their own, which is exactly what happened in season one. But maybe this time they get a little bit closer to those really, really rich and powerful people who are going to somehow be connected to the murder itself. I feel like True Detective has a through line and it makes sense, even with a different cast, if that's the story of season two. Right. And I think there's obviously been a lot of discussion about this online and stuff that a lot of people believe the same thing I did when and hopefully this isn't spoiling it for anybody who does not like any spoilers because I don't think it's a spoiler necessarily. But the fact is that, that, you know, the next time on uh, for True Detective, I kind of got this feeling, too, that some of these scenes may have been leading us to that exact scenario that we had from last season, which would put us in perfect scenario with the fact that maybe the narrative that they like to follow with True Detective is, is that eventually we get a little bit of a time jump. How much of a time jump? It's hard to say. But where, like you said, they feel like that this is all wrapped. You know, the media and everybody tries to sell this off that it's all wrapped up, but then they realize that it's not wrapped up. And that's when we really get into what's really going on with why Casper was killed. And I agree. One of the big things that was bothering me, Antonio, was the fact of how he was killed. I mean, really, you you don't burn somebody's eyes out unless it's some kind of a ritual or some kind of weird, sick thing that you're into. And I think that's the part that really bothers me the most is that you're right. He upset someone involved in something that we're still not fully aware of yet at the moment. And I think we will be here in the, in the coming episodes because you're right. He, he upset somebody in some kind of manner that we're, we're going to find out very soon about this. Probably going to be something really weird and really twisted, which of course makes me very excited to see <laughs> what they're going to have in store for us. Cause it's going to be probably a fantastic television, right? We know we're going to one of those parties, Jeremiah. You knew before the season, you posted it on my Facebook wall. We know we're going to end up at one of those parties. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, uh, and it's not clear when that will be, but we've heard enough about these parties already. In this episode alone, Annie goes and she visits her sister and they have this great talk. She and Athena talk about, you know, this is a different uh, talk than they had in the first episode. It was very different. And Annie's basically saying, like, they talk about Annie's mom and how I think it sounded to me like Annie's mom committed suicide. Is that what it sounded like to you? Yeah, I picked up on that as on her, her first conversation with her father at the retreat when she when he said something about or maybe she did, but about walking out onto the ocean and then kept on going. Yep, or something yep. like that. So, yeah, I, that's the way I assume is that she committed suicide. And Annie, Annie kind of hints at that, that incident in the conversation. She says, I lost her in the light, the light off the water. Um, she, the only souvenir of her mother's that she's got is the knife. So that's pretty significant. She's got her mother's knife. Uh, right. and maybe that's one of those knives she keeps on her person. Maybe it's the one she even had in her boot this episode. It's not clear, I, but she's got a knife from her mom. Yeah, it's not clear, but you kind of would assume that if the knife is, has some significance to her, you would assume that would probably be the one that they would be showing us, right? Yeah, I would think so. And then in, in that scene, Annie's sister basically says like, hey, I'm not like a real prostitute, not like one of those women that go to parties. And Annie's party, what parties? Oh, parties, they happen all the time. Where? Oh, you know, all around up north. 
So we've got, again, these connections to these parties, these people up north in the state, these goings on that are happening up there. We had the girl that disappeared uh, earlier this season. A lot of people are asking about whether that's a red herring uh, or whether that's something to track. We had a similar missing child in the first season of True Detective that they were kind of asking about that wasn't actually connected to directly uh, Mm -hmm. the crime they were investigating. But there was a missing child in that season, too. And it really what that did is it put them in contact with some of the people and things that they that were the themes of the overarching story. Right. And I think the same thing could be in play here because we know that the girl that went missing was an immigrant uh, girl uh, and she or at least she was from she was from a family that uh, was, you know, not a multi-generational California family. She went missing, nobody seemed to care. She was missing up north. Um, we, we know exactly kind of where that's the tie into this weird Bohemian Grove area, or maybe the Bohemian Grove uh, is going to be called uh, Chisani's Lodge uh, in this in this show. But we, we know that this girl went missing and, and maybe other women went missing as well. We don't know exactly to what extent some of our characters are involved in this sort of thing, but it is happening. Uh, and so that's kind of a big part of, of what's going on there. Uh, and we're getting that mentioned again. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we are going to see the kind of really dark kind of underbelly of everything that's going on. We had that connection on the film set where the set photographer was talking about those parties. The director uh, maybe is involved in those sorts of things. We know Casper was involved. Allegedly, that's where Mayor Chassani met his wife. Annie's sister mentioned the parties. Annie's sister mentions the parties. So, yeah, we're there. Like, we're, it's happening. Uh, It's just a matter of when. By the um, way, nice segue, my friend, into probably what's really going on here, because that conversation with her father, who appears again in this episode, to me, I think is going to be very significant to find out the group of people maybe that's really involved with Casper's death. No coincidence that this that her father knows Mr. Is it I Irving Pitler? Right. Yeah. We now know his full name. Yep. Mr. Pitler. <laughs> that he, of course, recognized him and the mayor and all these guys that we've been questioning here throughout this entire season. And here he goes, oh, by the way, oh, yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, they've been involved in all kinds of stuff up here with all these things that's involved with the with this. Uh, what do we call what do we what are they? I mean, is it. He's probably just got like a new age, like a spiritual center, spiritual center. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a retreat, not quite a commune. He seems seems to be just a new age retreat. So these guys go back away. They have a history together. Yeah. So to me, that, that says a lot to me. He said Hitler was big in the early eighties, which I thought was a really funny Rick Springfield joke. (laughs) It is actually. And it makes you wonder if with, if Nick uh, Pitts is it, we call him Pizzolatto. 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 (laughs) It makes me really wonder, of course, if this is another thing to Nick through in there just as a little joke to to the rest to us the viewers but yeah absolutely it's kind of funny that he said that but yeah they obviously so they've got a long history past with each other that makes me wonder that has got to be significant to the overall story right yeah plan a flag i'm gonna plan a flag i'm, I'm gonna okay. do it i'm, so I'm, gonna, it. I'm gonna patent this 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 flag planting i'm, I'm okay. a big fan of it uh what i want to plant a flag in is we see a picture there and we see what i what we see is identified as pitler yes. we get uh what we believe is the mayor identified in that picture uh we know that annie's dad is in that picture yes. uh, and then there are two others that are in the picture 
Um, we don't know exactly who they are. There's specifically one guy in the middle of the picture. If you go online, Reddit probably has it. You can probably find it other places. Yep, Screenshot yep. of this picture. There's a guy in the middle of the picture who's wearing a hat and kind of turned away from the camera. I, I'm going to plant a flag and say we, we need to find out who that guy is. I agree because that could be Birdman. Yeah, it could be. Well, yeah, it could be anybody. <laughs> I mean, uh, we don't know if Birdman's the same person as like uh as like a spirited away mask man. Like, I don't know, like the, uh, the guy who's running away from the car. Uh, that guy was very spry. I don't think there's a chance the guy in the photograph is that guy, but Birdman, Birdman could be, you know, could be anybody could have been an older person for sure. So yeah. we don't really know how that all plays out. Um, and, but I, but I think that that, that the unidentified people in that picture could be important. I think that I'm going to want to be able to track like how that all plays out. Cause if the young mayor is in that picture and Pitler is in that picture and Annie's dad is in that picture, I want to know who those other people are. Is one of them OSIP maybe, uh, Frank's, uh, associate who seems to be this kind of presence that's in the show. We've seen him a few times, but he's been talked about just as much. Um, I don't know. I, and I don't know where that all plays in with that. But I definitely want to plant a flag on that. What about this weird moment in that scene, Jeremiah, when Annie's father looks at looks at Ray and basically says, like, I'm sorry, but I had to talk about this. You have one of the largest auras I've ever seen. I can't take my eyes off how big your aura is. It's funny it's, you mention that because green I was, and black. I was going to discuss your aura, my friend. It's very large. Well, hey, you know, there's nothing you can do. It is or it isn't. It's like you, you either you've you've either lived hundreds of lives or you haven't, Jeremiah. Like there's no in the middle there. Well, apparently, apparently, Ray has lived hundreds of lives. Yeah. What? What? Do you have any info on that? What? Well, is green okay. And black? So I do know. Okay. So black. Th- there is some contradiction between these two colors because black indicates a long-term lack of forgiveness that can be led to health issues, but green is a healthy color particularly with the hearts and lungs, which is very interesting because that almost like it's like he's double crossing here with these colors. How could black and green be, you know, mixed together here, which is kind of rare if one is about health and one is not. Well, maybe that's what made, maybe that's what made, uh, made, made Annie's dad, uh, made Elliot say, Oh, you you must have lived hundreds of lives. Like maybe he really has racked up. And if it's a scale, he's about even one on one side, one on the other lives a good life, lives a bad life, lives a life where he can't forgive himself for his sins. And then on the other hand is very healthy and uh, an inspiring kind of thing. Which if I were, which fits race, I was going to say it fits race character perfectly. Yeah. I was going to say, if I were to extrapolate on that, that's exactly what I would say. I would say that he doesn't seem to be a negative influence on Annie or on Paul. He actually seems to be a kind of healthy guy. And there are times when he tries to do the right thing and is a good person. And there are other times when he's a horrible, horrible, horrible person beating up 12 year old kids, fathers in front of them, uh, threatening horrible crimes, which is that I a bad violate. thing, by the way. Eh, it depends. Depends why. I mean, it depends why. Like, I, you know, there certainly are lines so, that could be crossed. So that's frowned upon in the uh, law enforcement industry. I think so. Generally frowned upon. Okay. Generally frowned upon. Yes. Mark yeah. that down right now here. Yeah. Uh, hey, anytime I can help you, Jeremiah, I'm happy to do that. I know you have children. I know you've probably sure. been in confrontations yeah. with other parents. I thought about doing that with a couple parents. You know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Just especially at Halloween time, things can get really hectic because you got all the costumes. And sure. What are we yeah. doing trick or treat? And how much candy should we get? And where'd the candy go? And is there poison in the candy? And so on. Right. So yeah. I understand. That. I understand. It, yeah, I tell you. Right. But yeah, 
Go ahead. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that that's actually a pretty accurate description of Ray, that he could be both good things and bad things at the same time. And I think this this story, if we're going to arc over eight episodes, we are halfway through now. And at the halfway mark, he's on the upswing. Yeah, I definitely think he's upswing, which brings me to uh, one of the questions we got for Rubicon this week was talking about the relationship between Frank and Ray, about how the two of them kind of swapped each other a little bit, you know, because now Ray seems to be trying to move things more in a positive direction, you know, trying to have a, a trying to live maybe a little bit better life. And you got Frank, on the other hand, who's going to a whole other direction, which I'm sure you want to talk a little bit about, about how, you know, he's kind of getting back into his old ways, you know, obviously out of desperation. But he's getting back in his own ways. And I mean, I, one of the questions that Rubicon had was he wanted to know, do we think Frank will end up dead this season, killed by Ray, which I think is very possible. The two of these people, obviously, their relationship, I think, is very important to this series. Now, whether or not it's going to mean much to the overall solving of, of Casper's murder or not, but I think this is going to be a big part of this season because the two of them have a very important relationship going on here. And it is very significant that the two of them are kind of going in different directions here. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. We've we've had a few really impactful scenes in that bar, that Mexican restaurant or the cantina or whatever it is between Frank and Ray. Um, sometimes Frank is, is saying, you know, Ray is suicidal and Frank's saying, I don't want to hear you talk like that. Uh, sometimes. Frank is, is putting on, putting Ray on to, you know, what's happening. And in this particular episode, he's propositioning him like, Hey, join me. Like you're really, you got your head on straight. I like this, but there's a lot, those scenes are shot really well. And they're shot to be about more than just what they're talking about in the moment to be about how these men evaluate, how these men evaluate each other, uh, how they evaluate their place vis-a-vis looking at the other one. Uh, Frank maybe is not happy with where he's at, but he's never as bad as Ray. Um, Ray, He's probably not, you know, happy with being dirty, but he's never as dirty as Frank. So like they, you know, they have these things that they don't like about themselves that the other one represents kind of the worst case scenario. Uh, and I think that they, they have an interesting dichotomy at play there. And I think we got a little bit of that in this, in this episode, we had Frank and Ray and, and them kind of wondering like, what does the pimp Frank's, what does the pimp have to do with Stan? Like, uh, and Frank really can't put together why all these things have happened. What did you think about Frank? Frank's overall story in this episode. We got, let me, let me just quickly uh, run through these scenes. First of all, at the beginning, we had Frank in his avocado trees aren't growing. I thought that was just a straight up metaphor uh, for the fact that he can't, uh, you know, there's no pregnancy happening. Right. Yeah. And then he, he's basically saying like, we find out that his wife may have had an abortion in the past and that may be why they're going to struggle. He does not want to adopt a kid. He basically says like, that's someone else's sin. I don't want that on my back. Which is very interesting considering what Ray has done in adopting uh, Chad and, and basically passing him off as his own son willingly, knowing that it's not his own son, uh, but being, being willing to take on someone else's sin. Uh, Ray's been willing to do that. Frank is totally unwilling. So I think that's an interesting contrast between Frank and Ray there. Uh, and then we get the scene with Frank getting back in the game. He's talking to some, what are those guys? Are those guys like Eastern European or, or whoever those guys are in the cafe? Right. I wasn't quite sure 100% where they're from, but obviously, yeah, it's, uh, something somewhere from that part of the world, I would assume. Yeah, I don't think they're Russians because Frank mentions like I didn't go to the Russians. So these guys are these well, guys are from he's going back through a lot of the people he used to have dealings with. Right. 
That's exactly right. He's backsliding into a life that he thought he had left behind Mm -hmm. when he was able to kind of buy into some businesses that were legit, that he had to get out of. He liquidated himself. He took himself out of those businesses and gave the money to Casper to turn into this land deal. And then it never, it's gone. It's gone. So he's got to get back in the game. So he gets back in the game. He wants some drugs. He gets kind of a threat from these guys. Like, I don't know. You always ask for so much sugar, Frank. It's bad for your teeth. And that coming off the heels of Frank pulling someone's teeth out the previous episode. He doesn't really like that remark and, and gets to be menacing Frank for a minute. Did you, did you feel, are you feeling good about Vince Vaughn being menacing Frank in this episode? I'm okay with it. I think I think it's okay. I mean, I do agree with a lot of people who complain about the dialogue, but it, again, that has to do with writing. So I'm not going to, you know, ding give, the actor. For uh, yeah, I'm not going to ding the Vince Vaughn for for that. I think overall, I think he's doing a nice job. I mean, I from everything I read, I know Nick had Vince in mind for this character, and I think Vince is owning it the best he can, and I think he's doing a, a pretty decent job. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, right. go ahead. yeah, he's at the he's end of, okay. I do. And I think that Frank is really at the end of his rope. Like, I feel like yeah, Frank, he's a desperate man, right? He worked his whole life to get to one spot and he then tried to make a move out of that spot. And he essentially, it's like he was playing a video game and he forgot to hit save and then he died. So now he has to go back and do all right. the things that he had cleared and he thought he was past. And he has to go do them again. So he's doing it kind of half-heartedly. He's doing it kind of quickly and in a, in a kind of a dirty way and and in a way that will have consequences. I mean, the, 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 the guys that he's buying drugs from are saying, you know, like they had some Mexican guys, like that's not necessarily going to go well. Like they're going to be pretty upset. Like he's getting back in really quick and really dirty. Um, he goes to an apartment, uh, and he does the same thing. Um, this is all because we found out when he met, when he and his lawyer met with the representative from the whole, the real estate holding company that was supposed to have his money as part of this land deal, that if he could get the money again, he could buy in like he could have the same deal and it would actually be a better deal because it would be for the actual amount of the land and not the markup that Casper was charging. If he could just get this money again, he could be back in. But, you know, this deal could he could be gone like he's got to get in on this. So he's sort of desperately trying to find a way to get liquid or get some cash again. We also know that he's he's light on his bag for Chisani. And Chisani's told him, like, hey, if you don't come through, like, I'm just going to switch. Like, I don't have to rely on you. I hope it works out for you, but it doesn't have to be you. So he's in a, he's in a bind for a couple of different reasons. And probably he let a lot of that stuff slip because he was ready to get out of the game. Uh, And so now he's got to really crack the whip. So he goes to an apartment complex where clearly there's some illegal, you know, trade going on, probably drugs because he says he doesn't want the kids to get snake bit, which I can only assume is a reference to stepping on a syringe and not an actual snake. Um, And then, you know, he's trying to make a deal with the club, uh, with one of, uh, with one of, um, you know, the ex boyfriends, uh, of, uh, his wife, uh, Jordan, played by Kelly Riley. Um, and that's not going too well. Uh, it, the guy's kind of a, a putz. Uh, and he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you're beautiful. You're so beautiful. Oh, my gosh, you're so pretty. And like not really taking the deal seriously. And I really like this moment from Vince Vaughn. He stands up and gets right in his face and says, if you weren't interested in this deal, what are you doing here? Uh, and I thought that that was good. Frank is just kind of like a wounded animal. And he, he tries to say that to uh, to Jordan in the post of this scene. It says like really cheesy dialogue about how somebody put it on blur and he's trying to navigate his way through this warp speed thing. It's not going very well for Frank, very clearly. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said earlier, he's uh, he's a man. He's obviously very a uh, desperate man. He's trying to, you know, backpedal, like you said, of where this deal hasn't done is obviously really messed him up big time. I guess one of the things I kind of thought was kind of interesting in this episode, which made me really think, where exactly, where exactly is his money? Right. I, I think the number was thrown out was at five million dollars. Yeah. They had involved in this. And then there was that mention about, well, unless, of course, you know, Casper had it in a suitcase somewhere. I don't think this guy has your money when they were, of course, referring to Alito, who the guy who they wind up uh, having the big shootout with. Yeah. So it makes me wonder. This is a good question. Where is that five million dollars? Hey, listen, Frank would love to know. Right. Like <laughs> that. Frank say, would love to he know. does. It's uh, it's in an account somewhere or someone like Chisani, like Tony Chisani, the mayor's son, maybe has a piece of it. Uh, we don't know. Like it's out there somewhere. Uh, and that's that's kind of the driving force behind a lot of what Vince Vaughn's character is getting into. And you, we didn't mention this, but the, the final scene with Frank in this episode, after he talks to Ray and after he wonders, like, what does the pimp have to do with Stan? Uh, is Frank meets with his his kind of associate, Blake. Uh, Blake is the redheaded guy who's kind of a smirk, uh, like a smirking kind of uh, just frowny face all the time. He looks real smooth. His name's Christopher James Baker, the actor who plays him. And Blake is is kind of, he's really shady. Blake is basically like, oh, you know how I can get with a girl. A lot of people are speculating that this is actually the father of Ray's son, that this guy was the rapist uh, way back in the day. And that's what Frank was kind of covering up. Uh, and, and maybe that's true, but Frank is very untrustworthy of Blake. Uh, he thinks he's too close to OSIP. It sounded to me like what Frank was saying is that OSIP used to be the guy who ran all of these criminal enterprises here. And he's gotten out of the game a little bit. Uh, and as a result, um, Frank has kind of stepped into OSIP's shoes. And then when OSIP wasn't around, when he was around and when he ru- was running things, these people like Blake and others, they really weren't so subordinate. They weren't so kind of sloppy. But now that OSIP's gone, they have no problem being sloppy. Frank's certainly upset about that. He doesn't like that. He calls, what does he call him? He calls him a loosh. Yes. Yeah, right. we had a great comment uh, on post-show recaps from Alex Wilpon. If you'll recall, last week we had the word apoplectic show him, showing up yes. in, in Vince Vaughn's dialogue. Right. This week the word was loosh, and Alex wanted to know, do you think more people Googled loosh this week than apoplectic uh, apoplectic last week? Because apoplectic blew up Google last week. Um, I don't know, Jeremiah, were you on Team Loosh or Team Apoplectic? Well, I had to Google both because uh, I'm I'm not quite as well educated as I should be <laughs> I did the look of both up because I wasn't quite hundred percent sure either one, but uh, sure, I uh, loose. Let's go with that one. Yeah, I'm on that team. You telling me this down on his luck, Chicago poor drunks kid who was a gangster has a better no. education than than you or me, Jeremiah? You or I? Well, me and you, it's not a fair comparison because I'm sure, my friend, you are definitely way more educated than myself. But I would think that, yeah, I, I totally understand why a lot of people had a little bit of a struggle with this particular dialogue because I really cannot see this guy 
using any of these types of dialogue at all on well, a regular basis for sure. It's become almost a calling card for this character that he's dropping in these SAT level words uh, and expecting people to, or GRE level words, I should say, or sorry, what's well, yeah, GRE level words. Maybe he's a lot like my brother and I, I love my brother, of course, but you know, he's the one I kind of, he's, he's not very well educated himself and he loves to look up words and then use them. And a lot of times I go, I don't think this word means what you think it means. Like inconceivable? Yes. <laughs> and so it's like maybe Wait till I get going. <laughs> maybe he's like maybe he's one of these kind of guys who just looks these words up and figures, yeah, I could drop that in sometimes. Yeah. It's time for a loose bomb. <laughs> We're dropping loose bags on everybody's head tonight. I'm gonna go to work tomorrow, but drop a loose bomb myself, buddy. Yeah, I'm gonna cut loose after this one, <laughs> let me tell you. Like, I have no idea what, what is going on. I mean, at the end of the season, if we find out that Frank is somehow a really well-educated guy, oh, um, yeah. maybe, maybe that's a character note that, that won't ultimately matter at all for the story. Um, but it, I think maybe the, if, if the ultimate story of the season is that you can have all the education in the world, you can be a tough gangster, you can be an animal, you can be willing to throw down and murder, you're not going to break into the 1% without a whole lot of fight on their part. And maybe that's the story of Frank's character doesn't matter what education he has doesn't matter how smart he is doesn't matter how willing to murder he is he still doesn't belong in that upper stratosphere uh partially because of where he came from uh, and jeremiah you and i podcasted about boardwalk empire here on post show recaps that and one of the interesting stories about boardwalk empire in its final season was the character of Nucky Thompson, who had grew up, who had grown up super poor and who was a gangster and who had a little slice of Atlantic City being contrasted to this guy he comes into contact with Joe Kennedy, uh, mm-hmm. Joe Kennedy, an Irish immigrant who, who grew up a, a fighter and a struggler, but found a way to gain the stock market, got in and in one generation made his family into one of those families, uh, like Camelot, like a, like a gilded, lifelong landed gentry family. Right. Uh, the family, really, if you think yes, about it. Yes, exactly. The family of the 20th century, probably. Sure. Uh, he created it overnight with a little bit of, you know, certainly he broke the law. Uh, he bootlegged some liquor. Uh, he rigged the stock market. He did all those things, but he was a unique guy. And Nucky Thompson was not on his level. And it wouldn't surprise me if Frank is just a very similar kind of character to Nucky Thompson, which is this guy who kind of wants to be involved in these bigger things, wants to get these bigger deals going, but the people that are actually involved in those sorts of things could eat him alive uh, and, and are, are way good at protecting what is theirs and they perceive to be theirs uh, because of their families been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it, it would not shock me if that's the story from from this California is notorious for those kind of families. Uh, it just, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what we're going with Frank, but, uh, but I want to know from you, Jeremiah, what do you make of Blake? Uh, is Blake involved in backstabbing Frank? Is he untrustworthy? Like Frank thinks he seems to be, is this a story that we're going to see play out over the next four episodes where Blake is the one who's maybe been diming out Frank and working against him from within? <laughs> I, I listen. The thing is, I'll be honest. At first, for a while there, I really was very suspicious about, well, just about anybody that was working in Frank's organization. And obviously, Blake was the one early on that we kind of all had red flags going off. And I would say maybe after the first couple episodes, he was high on my radar of someone. But I think now after this episode, to me, it almost seems like it'd be way too obvious for him to be 
heavily involved for sure about what's going on, especially with the murder of Casper. Maybe there's some other things going on with him, but I don't know if it necessarily has anything to do with the murder of Casper. But I definitely think that, you know, he's he, rightfully so. I think that Frank definitely needs to be concerned about him. And I think that his suspicions are very warranted. But I just don't know for sure if he has anything to do with the importance of what's going on with the overall narrative. What do you think? Do you think it's almost too, too coincidence here? I mean, it's too, too convenient of, of, uh, of a story with, with him being the one, right? Yeah, I think so. And I actually, I, I'm kind of tracking and I think you are too. Um, Frank's other guy nails, not the guy with the beard, but the guy who's oh. clean shaven. He's really weird. The guy who said he's had, you know, he described, uh, somebody as half barracuda, half great white shark or whatever. He's just kind of, if you look at him in the background of scenes, he's always looking like really weird, really guilty, really up to something. He's, he's interesting. Like he is definitely a character. If you look at somebody who could, who could run from the cops like that, he's a little littler guy. I could see that happening. We haven't seen him involved too involved with the muscle work. It was uh, the Viking beard and Stan. Uh, it was the Max Dawson looking guy and Stan, who took oh, yeah. down? Who took down that guy who was running the illegal bookies? Uh, it was Stan who got his eyes kind of cut out. We've seen Blake's kind of been disappearing from the scene a lot, but in the background has been Nails, and we don't really know what his deal is. But I have a feeling uh, that Nails would be the one I would be tracking, not Blake. I agree with you. I think Blake is a little bit of a red herring, um, yes. and I, I don't know that I, I, I don't know that he'll tie. I think he'll occupy Frank's time, but Frank may not be right about that. Frank's very paranoid right now, obviously. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's very clear. And I think you're absolutely right. I think if someone out there is really trying to figure this out, I think someone like a Nails would be a much better person to consider than Blake. To me, at this point right now, Blake is way too obvious. Kind of a lot like the mayor. You know, I mean, it's, that would be it's too much in our face for him to be. Unless, of course, that's what Nick wants us to think. Oh, gosh. You're calling him Nick. First name basis. Like, he's not earned that. Mr. Pistolato. He's not Vince Gilligan. Let's not, sorry. Let's not, I'm sorry. let's not get ahead of ourselves here. I mean, You're right. there was even another, like, you, we talked about the, the joke, the early 80s joke. Uh, there was another moment in this, um, in this sort of, uh, in this episode tonight where I was like, come on, Pizzolatto. And that was when uh, Ray and Paul are driving in the car and Ray's ranting about reporters. He's like, I had a reporter tell me he'd rather be first and wrong than second and right. And Ray is just kind of running down reporters. And I can't help but, but think this is Pizzolatto grinding an ax that he has about all the speculation about True Detective Season 2 and all the people who were talking about the, the, the alleged plagiarism from season one and all the people that were reporting on that Pizzolatto's really upset and like it's one of those things like in my book I would say this is Pizzolatto's book for lack of a better word he gets the chance to write and make his character say whatever he wants and so it doesn't surprise me we get another like just a perfect like trademark Pizzolatto rant uh, about about reporters here because I think he's got an axe to grind but um, but I actually I want to kind of transition a little bit here um, we didn't talk about Paul much yet, Jeremiah, and I want to know what your thoughts on Paul are. We had the first scene setting this up in, with Paul in this episode. We see Paul waking up in a kind of an unusual room. We don't really know where he's at. We see another guy, uh, and it's his old friend who we believe he's had some sort of um, 
homosexual kind of relationship with in the past that Paul feels incredibly guilty about. I believe this guy was also a soldier uh, and was involved in the kind of black mountain stuff. So he probably knows Paul and Paul's demons better than just about anybody. And it seems clear that Paul has, has kind of, for lack of a better term, what would in Paul's eyes be considered backsliding. He's backslid into this relationship with, uh, with this guy. And Paul is very upset about it. Um, and then we get this moment where the re- there's reporters waiting for him at his hotel. Yeah, I know that. That I mean, I guess I mean we knew there was something going on with the Blackwater thing, but it was kind of kind of took me by surprise because it's like all of a sudden now reporters are there, invest you know like waiting for him, and I'm like, and wow, what did I miss something from the last episode that or the last couple episodes that I wasn't aware of that this was like such a hot story that reporters are waiting for his. <laughs> <laughs> to get to an interview with this guy, I thought that was kind of a little bit odd. But yeah, the, there was obviously some some heavy stuff going on here with Paul in this episode. He was definitely a main focal point that we had in this episode. And I, I have to admit, I'm a little complex with this character. I mean, he's he's obviously got a lot going on in his life. He had an extremely bad day in this episode, uh, where like he's mentioned earlier, he wakes up with finds out he had spent the evening with with a, a former armory buddy and they had some sexual relationships there. And then later on, he finds out about his bike being missing. He's got these reporters all over him. He finds out his ex-girlfriend is pregnant. And then he's going to go ahead and, and play along with the lie and, and say, he's going to, you know, go along with this idea of being the father and getting married. I mean, this guy is like all over the place. And then by the end of the episode, it seems like, you know, everything's okay with them. So I don't know what to think about this character. He is, he's a little bit out there, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, and he is, I mean, like, I, I really don't think that he was just crying because he can't come to grips with the fact that he's homosexual. I mean, I think the fact that he's, no, it's much more than that. I think the fact that he is, is driving a lot of that, but he clearly has had a lot of trauma in his life. And I think some of it probably surrounding that. And he's got, I thought, I thought Taylor Kitsch in that scene in the car, uh, I thought he was great. I thought that he killed oh, that. Yeah, he's fantastic. He said, I, I did everything they said. I just don't know how to be out in the world. Like he's clearly uncomfortable in his own skin. Uh, and he's been involved in a lot of horrible things. I think we're going to find out how he got those scars. And I don't think they're going to be the way that we necessarily expect. I think we got a hint of that uh, earlier when his girlfriend was looking at them and he said they were from before the war. So I think they were probably something with his mother. I think that he probably has had gay tendencies. His life, I'm totally speculating here, but I think that that's all going to come to bear a little bit. Um, there's some shots from the preseason trailer that we haven't seen in the show yet that I think uh, will involve him really having an emotional moment with his mother. And uh, that may be coming as early as next week. So I think that that's all coming. I thought that he was really good in that scene. I thought the paparazzi scene, to be perfectly honest, I thought there was a lot of really bad writing in this episode. Uh, the paparazzi scene among them, I think that that's meant mm-hmm. to be tied to the fact that he is involved with this Lindsay Lohan type actress. Uh, and and that, that was the, the whole alleged sexual favors in exchange for being let out of the ticket. Right. Uh, and TMZ's probably picked that up and they're digging into information about him since he's involved and they're tying, they're, they're, they're digging up the fact that he was involved in the Black Mountain group, the Blackwater type, um, extrajudicial kind of like security force, uh, that's acting outside the, the government's kind of zone of influence in these war torn countries. Uh, so, there's some dirt on him to be dug up and maybe W. Earl Brown was involved 
with taking pictures of him for that reason. Like maybe he wants to sell him to TMZ and maybe we're going to see the picture show up on TMZ. Like maybe that's, that's the kind of other shoe to drop from that picture. But that's where these, these, this press are from these pop, these paparazzis, but I don't know. It just came from out of nowhere. We had a comment from Tyree Biggums on our show page at postshowrecaps.com that I really agree with. What was with all the really bad or awkward scene transitions? It was jarring sometimes. Um, I think that the scene with Ray and Paul in the car is a perfect example of that. Really, really well-written scene while they're sitting in traffic. And as soon as they say everything that's in the dialogue that's on the page, then Ray says, oh, I'm tired of this monkey F and then puts then only then does he say, I'm tired of waiting in traffic and puts his lights on now that they'd finally said their piece. Uh, and then there were just some weird, really weird transitions throughout. Like we go from we go from Annie and Ray being together, uh, tracking the mayor's daughter down, which we haven't talked about this scene. It's the next kind of scene. Uh, in in the um, in the episode, and they they are sitting outside the mayor's house, waiting for the daughter to leave. They follow her into what looks to be like a medical marijuana lo- a lounge where she's smoking some kind of hookah, and she gives some Annie some really good information about how her mom was uh, schizophrenic, was committed and allegedly committed suicide under the care of Pitler, the same psychiatrist who mm-hmm. was yes. allegedly the psychiatrist of. Uh, of Casper. So we've got the connection there. She says her father's a really bad guy. She says a lot of kind of interesting stuff in that scene. Uh, Laura Holswazer, a uh, friend of the show, po- pointed out to me that the, the daughter's wearing an eye around her neck, kind of an eye necklace. Uh, and there's a lot of connections there with uh, the occult uh, and everything that happens there. You could say the eyes is a symbol of death. You could say the eyes is a symbol of life. Uh, but there's a lot of the symbolism that this show's dealing heavily in right there around her neck. Uh, and so maybe she's involved with something more. Maybe it's her brother. We don't really know. But we transition from that scene right into the scene with Annie and her sister. Is it the same day? What happened to Ray? We have no idea. Like, and then all of a sudden we're back with Annie and her father and Ray's there again. So it's like, what is happening with these scenes? I agree the transitions are poor, but yeah. I, I don't really know. The transitions, yeah, there were definitely was some, some issues there with the transitions for sure was poor. I mean, the, the overall, the, I think that it's fair to say that the season, there's so much going on, Antonio, that I think, you know, the average TVO goer, it might be almost a little bit too much, which I think is a little concerning. You know, for the true true detective is to maybe, you know, maybe next season, if they do a season three, they maybe kind of back things off a little bit because it's it's almost jarring, you know, to try to figure out everything was going on with this episode. I think me and you both had to watch it a couple of times just to pick up on the things that we are discussing right now. And there was probably tons of things that even me and you are probably missing at this moment. So there's just so much going on and it certainly didn't help with the way they narrated each scene and, and crossed over each one because it definitely, I got confused at some moments where I had to try to figure out what in the heck was going on. And I yeah. agree, even at the scene with the sister, I guarantee you there were some important things that were not even thinking about that was mentioned in there uh, other than the fact where she mentioned about the parties. So there's so much going on that I had a hard time keeping up with it, my friend. Yeah. We had a good comment from coach uh, on our post show recaps page as well, where coach said, how can all these detectives do things to get suspended, but still go on solving this murder? How does it all work? And coach, I don't have the answer for you. I mean, I think it's an, the answer is it's super convenient for the story. Like yes. it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't get suspended, but on the other hand, it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't keep investigating the crime. And I think at least now, if, if the crime is pinned on Amarillo, which by the way, I believe is Spanish for yellow. 
That's what I've heard. So, um, so if the if the crime is really pinned on Amarillo, then uh, then he's the Yellow King. Nobody else is going to be concerned. That's the end of the season. Four episodes done. It's over. Yes. But anyway, if they're if you they're nailed, all yeah, you yeah. nailed it, Antonio. By the way, for for to answer Coach's question is convenient writing, Coach. Convenient yeah, writing. It really is. I mean, that's all that it, that's all that it is. But I mean, I think that next week that'll actually work out. Yeah, like if I they think get so. busted down or suspended and they're not in, and, and Annie and, and Ray and, and maybe even Paul are not satisfied with this solve, then they can investigate it on their own as not, not part of their official duties. I, mean, I did think it was funny. It was a, it was a horribly sad scene that we haven't really talked about where Annie meets with her boss. And there's an internal affairs complaint from her ex, and actually her partner Elvis is kind of thrown her under the bus a little bit as well. Yeah, what a jerk, by the way. Jerk store. Jerk store. Uh, jerk store called, and they're all out of Elvis. Uh, <laughs> and, and she gets suspended, but oh, but not from the only thing that you've been working on. Like right. literally the only job that you've been doing, like since you got on this detail, you can still do that. Just you can't do any of that other stuff you weren't already <laughs> otherwise doing because you were doing the thing that you're still allowed to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Well, I guess so. Should we just assume it because this is a state run investigation? I guess. I mean, it, it just doesn't really it doesn't really I don't think it works in real life, but it works, of course, fine for the story. Well, and she's got these gambling debts. We know she's got she's got some weird um, something weird going on sexually. Uh, she's she's pulling a porn and kind of looking at it in secret. Uh, the whole the whole thing with her and the uh, the ex went south, uh, which as we saw in the first kind of scene with her uh, over some kind of sexual disagreement. Uh, so, and her sister said when she walks, it's like erasers clapping. Uh, I don't know if that's a suggestion that Annie is uh, super, uh, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but uh, she's friends with multiple people uh, mm-hmm. in a in an intimate way uh, for right. throughout a, a long period of time, uh, such that that would happen. Um, I'm not an expert in school <laughs> erasers or women, so I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm also has- not an expert good dialogue but that tells me somebody tells me that's not great dialogue there certainly has been lots of little signs we have seen throughout this season so far that has kind of told us about some of the things that of course anna likes to do on her own personal time and i mean you know we can lead to we could definitely yeah i mean some conclusions with this i mean i don't don't want to say anything that she's not doing but she definitely is in, involved in some things. I definitely agree with you with the porn thing. She is involved in certain, there are certain things that she likes to do that gives her some pleasure. And I think it involves probably some people she works with. And it's unfortunately kind of has caught up with her here and it's kind of backfired, unfortunately for her and at, at work. She makes a great point in that scene, which I think that, that a lot of people need to, to think about mm-hmm. uh, if they judge her negatively for any of the things we're talking about, which is that if it were a male, if it was happening with a man or if it were a male, we wouldn't be talking about it. And right. I think that that's true. It's not really oh, fair God, to yes. say, oh, this Annie, she's so weird. She looks at porn and she's, she's, uh, she's promiscuous. Uh, and she, she's, you know, she does sexually quote unquote deviant things that her partners aren't comfortable with. She is really dirty and bad. 
it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, you don't get to make it work that way. Um, certainly people in the context of the story can judge her as bad or weird for that because they, they're allowed to have their own opinions in the context of the story. But I don't think we as viewers, and I don't think you are, and I don't, I just want to make sure the official statement of post show recaps is clear. I don't think that this make, that these behaviors make any weird per se, but I do think the show is using them to suggest that she's different. That she's not what people expect her to be. That she, the, in, in ways that resonate with people that are close to her and people that aren't, uh, she is unusual from that standpoint. Gambling debts, put it on the list. Not something you typically hear about from a female character in a TV show. Uh, oh, that's that woman. Yeah, she's got all the gambling debts, all of them. So it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it all comes down to those double standards. We, I mean, I think uh, most people who are quite aware of the situation is there is always going, has been double standards that unfortunately as society, society, we haven't got away from yet. And it's, she's absolutely right. You know, about the fact when she makes that statement about, you know, well, you know, that he's in there getting high fives from all his guys. It's absolutely true that if a man in, if in this case was, involved in you know rough sex or whatever let's say that she's into and was doing this with some other people that she worked you know that he would be working with if she was a man it would be a whole different story it wouldn't be looked upon at all there wouldn't be any issues but they're making a big issue because the fact that she's a woman and we all know that there's those double standards unfortunately that are still out there and that's what unfortunately anna is is dealing with in this case and it's very sad but it is unfortunately it's still a true statement in a lot of in a, in a lot of cases, unfortunately, that happens across uh, our country. And it's yeah, sad. I think that's right. And I think we just have to be careful as viewers of this show not to judge as though there's something wrong with Annie because no, she's exhibiting these she behaviors. She's a little rough, Antonio. So what? Yeah, well, like, she, she, hey. I mean, I don't even know about that. I don't know how rough. I, I, mean, don't, I don't know, know what it was. I'm just assuming. I don't know what I don't want to speculate. Like. I don't want to speculate. <laughs> I don't know what Annie like. doesn't matter. we're going to get into a matter. very bad hashtag it's, game if I start speculating. As long as it's two, between two consenting adults, it's okay, man. It's yes. Cool. The Supreme cool. Court has made that abundantly clear. It's, Obviously, all right. Whatever she—that's cool. But you know what I'm trying to say, though, is that um, if it was if it was a man, though, you're right. It would be treated differently, right? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah unfortunately. I think so. I mean, I think so because I, it it is not like a. It's just not some. I mean, we've seen it. We saw it with Woody Harrelson on season one of True Detective. He wasn't perceived. Oh, he wasn't right. made out to be a great husband. But I don't think anyone judged him as a horrible, like, oh, there's something wrong with him because he was cheating on his wife. Like it was expected. Uh, and it's funny because in this episode, Elvis, uh, Annie's partner, says no grown woman in her right mind would date a cop. That's what Annie says to Elvis. That's like that's what Elvis says to Annie. Like that's the kind of dialogue like you don't want to get involved in these relationships and any, and that's kind of being thrown around there. So we know policemen uh, police characters in these kind of shows are often seen as dirty. They're married to their job, not necessarily their family. And that's the way that that's usually played out. So I just want to be careful and I'm not, I, I am in no way suggesting that you're doing this. I just, I want to make sure everyone in the audience is, is in on the same page here that maybe we're presenting Annie as a character who has some demons and who has, has had some, bad experiences in her life. Um, but I'm not sure that we're necessarily supposed to be portraying her as like a train wreck um, who, you know, cannot form emotional relationships with people or who can only, you know, who is just engages in like, like I watched the show, the bridge. And in that show, the female detective, the lead has, has Asperger's like she has, she's on the spectrum and she just engages in casual sex with men. Like, 
No question. It's not like there's nothing to be said that the point the show's making with that character is she's emotionless. She doesn't make any ties with this. She can, it's almost like throwing a tissue away. Like she's blown her nose and that's the end of it. Like, so I don't know what the point is that we're going to get with Annie here. The reason I trend into this is I don't know where the story's going with her father, with, uh, with what we have, with, with what happened uh, at the at the lodge at the Chizani Lodge, um, I don't know where all of that's going, but there's at least a small possibility that Paul and or Annie were both uh, sexually advanced at a very young age for one reason or another. Um, there, you know, there's a the famous story that goes around Hollywood of River and Joaquin Phoenix, who I believe were raised in a kind of a weird new age kind of way that sounds a lot like what Annie might have been raised in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they, you know, you, a lot of people would look at it and say they were raised uh, as, as, as like prostitutes. They were raised as boy whores. Like they were raised as children who had these weird things that happened uh, to them. And I don't know if that's true or not um, that, you know, they would say, well, no, I, I just, I just, uh, we just had uh, sexual relations with our parents, friends when we were 12 years old. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's where we're going with Annie. I don't know if that's where we're going with Paul, but I feel like it might be in play. And I feel like a lot of these things we see with both of them uh, may be in service of that uh, more so than, than anything else that they're, that we're seeing. In other words, I don't know that they're not their their character notes they might actually be foreshadowing for information that we're going to find out about where these people came from they're supposed to be i think question marks like why does annie why why does she do the things she does why does paul do the things he does um it's not to shame those actions it's to say that where's the motivation coming from it drives the narrative it wants you to think about like the narrative of where those things started uh and we're going to probably get some backstory on both of those things and I think at least in Annie's case, it's going to be a pretty dark place. Well, yeah, I mean, to me, the, all both Annie and Paul and even Ray, you know, they, they have scars in their lives, in their past that really has affected their lives. And I think that it's important for us to at least know where they're coming from. You know what I mean? I mean, it, to me, when you're building character development, you have to kind of be able to kind of get into that past and, and kind of a little bit understand where maybe they're coming from. And, and maybe we're going to continue to learn a little bit more about, you know, things that's happened to them in their life that, you know, that affects, affects them as, as people. And so I think it's, it's very, it's very important for us to find out for sure. And we will, again, we're speculating. We don't know for sure what's all what's happening with Anna or even uh, Paul or Ray, but for sure that there's definitely some, some major demons that's happened with them and they, that they have to struggle with, you know? And I think it's uh, extremely important for their character development. Yeah, and I mean, I really do think that um, that there's there's just elements of the the Phoenix family uh, kind of scenario. If you guys haven't heard about that, you should look up um, the Children of God is the name of the cult that the Phoenix family was involved with, and I believe that that split off into a group called the Family of Love. Mm-hmm. And I think if you like think that. about if you think about what um, Annie's father's organization was called and things like that, I think there's enough overlap to think that that's the sort of thing that if if Annie's mother was kind of a less willing participant and all that might really drive her over the edge. It's the sort of thing that could absolutely put Annie uh, in a position now where we're kind of questioning why uh, she's doing what she's doing. Um, so I, I definitely want to make sure we mention that because I thought we got 
a little bit more information about that this episode. And I, I don't know. I think it's important that we track Annie. I think they're giving her a lot to work with. And I, I think it's important that we look at it through the right lens so that we don't just judge her negatively for the, the same kind of things we would judge a male character for positively. So I think it's important I, to think about that. I agree 100%. And I, I do, I think all this is extremely important because as you know, as we mentioned before, I mean, you know, as, as, as joking, I had said in, in our first uh, review that I joked about her father being Birdman. And I, I don't know if that's going to become true, but I do think that a lot of this story that had has come about, a lot of the information we heard in this episode may lead us to some of the clues that really had happened to the demise of Mr. Ben Casper. So I think that's right. Be, I think big, that's right. It's very important. So this is, is going to be very fascinating, my friend. We're going to be delving into some pretty cool stuff, I think, uh, here in the final four episodes, right? Yeah, I think so. Let's do some quick hits. Uh, All right, let's do it, man. Before we finish, um, <laughs> Matt Campbell posted on Post Show Recaps, says, Pizza Lottie write the dialogue too, which we know he does. <laughs> Matt said, it's so bad. My father, he's a very bad person. I guess I love you too. Sometimes your worst self is your best self. Has he seen two humans interact before? I wanted to, to ask you, Jeremiah, about the I guess I love you too quote, because we haven't seen, we didn't really talk about that scene no, between we didn't. Paul and his his girlfriend. Uh, she's pregnant. You said he's going to go along with it. Do you do you think that that girl that that child is not Paul's? Is, are you are you is that what you're kind of saying? No, I don't know. You know what? The more I think about it, I'm, I don't necessarily think it's very possible. It's 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 his. I she doesn't strike me as someone that Paul needed to be worried about. That was messing around on this. It probably is his. I I think that you know for Paul, you know he's 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 willing to go along with this lie you know he's obviously struggling with the fact that uh you know he, he definitely uh has obviously is is definitely someone who who struggles with his homosexuality and he is he's he's unfortunately doesn't want to admit to that or something i i don't know there's obviously a lot of deep things going on with this poor guy you know and maybe to him it's easier for him to just you know, go along with that lie by going in and say to say, yes, I, I love you. I want to be with you and let's make this happen when we all know that's not really what he wants, you know, in life. I mean, so I just think that, you know, he's just the poor guy is in a, in a place where he thinks that this is the best thing for him when yeah. we all know it's not. And I, I'm, I'm sure as we as time goes on, we're going to see him struggle with that. Right. Yeah, he's trying to do what he thinks is right. Uh, and I think that he's not sure. I mean, what people think he should be doing. He's just trying to do what he thinks is right. Uh, and I, hopefully we get a lot more information about where that came, where that came from, uh, and where, where that is. Uh, move it in with him and his mom. We, there's some weird stuff going on there for sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, everybody has to remember that this character is a very damaged person. You know, from yeah. what I can tell. So he's not kind of thinking on the same level as the rest of us would be, you know, where it's it's modern times, my friend. You know, it's OK to you know, it's it's quite all right, obviously, to admit the fact that, yes, you know, I'm a gay man. Let's be. Yeah. Hashtag it. it gets better, Paul. Come on. Yeah, it's OK. But unfortunately, you know, for Paul, he's a very damaged individual. And I don't think that he is in the same mindset that the rest of us would be. In, the, speaking, in this circumstance, you know speaking, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I think that's right. And, and I think that he, 
We'll see. We'll see, yeah, we'll see how he handles from. it. What I would like to speaking of damaged people and it, it getting better. What did you make of that scene between Ray and his kid, his his Chad, oh when he gives gosh. Chad the, 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 his dad's badge? Like, what's going? What's going on there? There's a great clip on Reddit, by the way. I apologize. I don't know the name of the original OP on that one, but it is uh, him kind of fading into the bushes with the the Batman music, the Dark Knight kind of theme playing because he does a Batman disappearance there. Well, I normally I try to avoid Reddit because there's so many crazy people on it sometimes. But I did happen to see that one. And how funny is that? Because, you know, it's funny as I later on, I saw a blog post talking about this. He does disappear like Batman. He's like, he's just like he's there and he's gone. He's like, oh, Batman, you know, he's gone before you know it. It's crazy how he disappeared like that. I thought it was a very emotional scene, though. I mean, you could tell that. I thought he's, his son reacted very well to it. I thought that he, I think it was for the first time we actually got to see a very positive moment between two of them, which we hadn't seen yet, right? It's just so weird. I don't understand that scene. I don't know where that, I mean, it's, it's near the end of the episode. I, do, I, I don't know where we're going with that. I mean, is he going to not fight custody now? Is he going to fight custody now? Like, is he going to go? Like, what's going to happen? Because this seemed to be like, hey, never going to see you again. Here's my pop's badge in this sort of carbonite. He wanted to throw it in the trash. But I thought you might use my dad's badge to think of me. What? <laughs> Like what? I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, It made a little bit of sense. It made the tiniest bit of sense. I'm not sure why he wouldn't just give him like one of his like dirty Western style shirts or like (laughs) shave his mustache off and put it in the bag and hand it to the boy. Like, I don't know. Let him glue it on his face. Something like there's many better things you can do than give this badge to your kid. Like, I don't know. Like, wouldn't Ray want that? Even that string necktie thing he's wearing. Yeah. Here's my bolo boy. Like go and do likewise. (laughs) Wear this with pride. I promise if you wear this bolo to school, they'll stop picking on you for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no one ever got picked on for wearing a bolo. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what's going the on. The thing with is, is this kid means so much to Ray. This is, this is kind of all he has going in his life is this kid. And he's very important to him. And I mean, the rest of us can all see that clearly it's not his kid. But as far as Ray's concerned, that's his child. And he means, it means a lot to him that he treats him that way, that it's really his kid, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it's just part of his character. It's part of his, of what we need to know about him as, as a, as a person. So it's very important, but yeah, the whole scene, it was very odd, obviously. And the disappearing act, I can definitely understand why a lot of people on the internet have been talking about it because it was crazy. How he just disappear like that it was crazy. yeah that was really funny so let's begin where we ended uh or let's end where we began sure um and let's talk about that final scene one more time jason burning had a great quote on on post show recaps where he talked about what you kind of talked about as well which that it wasn't like most movies and tv where the cops and robbers start to shoot out and magically all the civilians are gone jason really liked how they showed how the everyday person would react to that i.e just stand there uh, in awe and get mowed down uh, like a dumbass and I think that some of that happened. I, I wanted to track one thing from that final scene, especially the very end of it, that we haven't really hit on that I think is kind of uh, interesting and, and it really plays into these characters. Did you catch the kind of weird freeze frame that we got, the tableau, right before the end of the episode? It sort of freezes on the three characters. And I tell you what, Paul is right at home. Paul is totally fine with how that shootout went down. He's calm. He's collected. Annie and Ray are, are basically broken and crying because of all the carnage around them. 
And Paul's looking at it all like, oh, yeah, another day at the office. Well, I mean, you know, Paul has seen combat. That's what know? I mean. It's this uh, is a dark to guy. Me, that's he's a dark guy, and uh, you know he's he's seen that before. And I think for the rest of it, it was a little bit more jarring, a little bit more shocking for them to deal with. But for for him, it was like, hey, like you said, another day at the office. But the freeze frame thing that was kind of. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that necessarily. I don't know if that was the best choice to go with there, but yeah, sure. Whatever, whatever, Nick, man, whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's interesting because I think we should probably um, track going forward. I mean, in this episode, Ray said to Annie, stay away from the mayor. You and Woodrow are going to go down for this. So I think the, the, the kind of question we're asking ourselves as we go into the next episode is um, who's going to go down and how, and is it going to be what Ray said? Is Paul going to be able to shake it off? Is he want to start a family? Where's this all going? I, I think it is not an honest or realistic show. If we don't see some after effects of this massacre, because as everyone said, as you said, uh, we had commenter on our on, beefcake commented on our, on our page. Holy ass. That's a lot of bodies. Uh, and you know, we just, there are so many people killed in this scene right. that there's, there has to be aftermath and it has to have not only kind of global aftermath, but local aftermath on, on the characters. Two of them were breaking down. Like this is a formative moment in their lives to be at this incident. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see how much time passes, if any, between this episode and next one uh, and where that goes. We certainly, I mean, are interested in your theory. So please join our discussion at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, you can leave your questions on the show page here for this season two, episode four show. Jeremiah, anything else you want to talk about from this episode? I think the last question I have for you, my friend, is so not speculate too much, uh, but do you feel like we are going to have a repeat of the first season where after the fourth episode, we will have some type of jump in time? Is that a possibility? Yeah, I think so. I think we're getting there. I think that the, I think from, I don't know how long it'll be. That's what I'm interested to see. I don't know if it'll I don't be six think it's months, it'll long, be six weeks. But I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be pretty long. I think it's, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a several month time jump. Um, okay. I think the, the Casper murder will be swept under the rug with this larger story of all these other people getting murdered. If the AG really did have their hand out, I'm sure they'll, they'll pay off the people that need to be paid off to make it go away. Uh, and I think that all business will be back to usual in Vinci, but won't be, what won't be usual about it is that these broken souls mm-hmm. crossed paths as a result of this crime. And for whatever reason, who they are in and of themselves is probably not enough, but who they are after this incident and who they are to each other is probably enough to drive this, this, these four, the good in them uh, to cause them to do good things here. And I don't think they're just going to let this go. So um, we'll see exactly how it goes. But, but yeah, I think we're going to see some time pass here because I think we need to get that next phase of the story going. You don't think it'll be that much? No, I don't think it'll be a large, large jump, but I think you're right. Maybe a matter of months, maybe a year at the most. Yeah. But I definitely think that we will have, we're probably going to have to piece together from the little bit of information we'll get if we do jump, but we'll probably have to piece together a little bit about the aftermath, but I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit about the aftermath of what happens after this episode that we just uh, finished watching. But I think it's going to be a little bit of a jump and it will push us into, like you said, these, uh, these three individuals, these three souls that cannot just live with the fact that this, this guy was the one who really was involved with the murder and that they will really get down and, and we'll dig into finding out what really happened to Mr. Ben Casper. So yep. we're on the same page, my friend. So I'm yep. looking forward to, to uh, next week. 
We'd like to hear what you guys have to think about how much time will pass if you uh, got to the end of this podcast. What do you think, Jeremiah? Loushbag? L-O-U-C-H-B-A-G? Is that perfect. a good hashtag? It's a perfect hashtag. So tweet at Josh Wiggler and let him know he's a loosh bag. He's <laughs> at Round Howard. That's uh, like Terrence Howard, but whiter. Uh, and Jeremiah, you're at Jay Panhorst. Is that right? That's correct. I don't have a fancy uh, Twitter handle like We're going to come up with one. Uh, and I'm at AC Mazzara. That's two Zs, one R. Give us a tweet, hashtag loosh bag, if you listen this far. We're always uh, looking forward to engaging with you guys on Twitter. Thankful for you listening. Uh, thankful for you checking out Post Show Recaps and following everything we do here. Uh, if you're interested, we just wrapped up Orange is the New Black. So if you're just catching up, some great podcasts with uh, Jessica Lee and Taylor Cotter there. We're covering Wayward Pines on Post Show Recaps, an interesting show. Uh, Jeremiah, what else you got going on? Anything? At the moment, my friend, not much. That This is, this is it. My That's world good. is Post Show Recaps. Well, that's good. So you're tuning into the Seinfeld podcast we do here and Absolutely. all the other great things we do here at Post Show Recap. So really appreciate everything, everybody. Jeremiah, who was a true detective this week? Ooh, my friend, I almost forgot about that. We do need to figure this out. Oh, man, we've given this to Ray quite a bit, haven't we? Yep. Oh, man. It's Tell you what, this I'm is gonna, a really hard week. Well, where get, are you? Where are you going? I'll give this? you my vote. You, you can you can back you can back slide on this one. You can you can uh, you can back, vote however you want. My vote is for R.I.P. Teague Dixon, True Detective. He broke the case. He he, he found the link between uh, Amarillo and Casper. He went to the pawn shop. Found he, he's the only True Detective this week. He's the only one out there doing his work. So Teague Dixon, True Detective. Are you sure it's not Anna's father? I mean, he was able to feel how large Ray's aura was. I mean, all right, all right. Quite a quite a detective work right there, my friend. Well, Josh told me I have his proxy for the vote. Josh votes for T. Dixon as well. All right, we'll so co-sign. Clean, let's go with got a clean sweep. We're let's back go with the late Detective Dixon. Let's go. All right, all right, all right. That sounds Dixon. good. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, everybody. I was not caught across the line. I was not caught, though many tried. I live among you, well disguised. I had to leave my life behind. I dug some graves you'll never find. The stories told with facts and lies. I have a name, but never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I had to leave my life behind. The story's told with facts and lies. You own the world, so never mind.